Welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360, the podcast solving today's most pressing issues in the AI arthritis community. We invite you all to the table, where together we face the daily challenges of autoimmune and autoinflammatory arthritis. Every Sunday, join our fellow patient co-hosts as they lead discussions in the patient community, as well as consult with stakeholders worldwide to solve the problems that matter most. Whether you are a loved one, a professional working in the field, or a person diagnosed with an AI arthritis disease, this podcast is for you. So pull up a chair and take a seat at the table. Hello and welcome to AI Arthritis Voices 360. This is the official talk show for the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. So my name is Tiffany Westrich-Robertson. I am the CEO of the organization and also a person living with AR arthritis diseases. I have, my primary is non-radiographic axial spondyloarthritis. I'm out of breath. <laughs> saying that. And I am joined by long-term volunteer and my dear, dear friend, love her, Deb Constein. Hi, Deb. Hi, Tiffany. How are you guys? Oh, I'm good. It's been a, it's been a day. Yes. So if anybody has, has yes. tuned into any of the, the others today, something was happening with my internet. I've, I've moved, I've relocated in my home, and we hope that we'll get through this one without interruption. And she's still at the auto show behind her. <laughs> I am, but I'm still at the, look at that, I'm at the auto yes. show. So there is a reason why I have this particular one behind me. So let me preface by saying, we are doing this week the AI Arthritis Voices 360 talk show for our organization for the first time live and with video. Which is awesome. Normally, yeah, you don't it's, see us. It's audio. <laughs> you don't see us. You hear us. Um, so if you do listen to podcasts, you can you can always find us at AI Arthritis Voices 360 and listen to us in your car when you're doing some cooking, you know. But this is kind of fun. So we thought we would try this live because we were supposed to have our very first auto ball, which is our gala. And the first time ever we were going outside and saying, meet us, see what we do. Because we, Deb, I mean, yeah. you know, we've been an organization online. Yes. For a long time. time, yes. Online. And the reason was because it's easier sometimes for patients to participate. Yeah, right? if, absolutely. If it's, if it's online. Yeah. And that's why we set our organization up that way. But now we've expanded, we've grown, we've been doing so many amazing things, yes, which is exciting. It is super exciting. It, super exciting. Seriously, from like the time that I joined um, IFAA till now, I... I'm just, I, we are a force to reckon with, man. We are going places. I know. We are going places. <laughs> and, and speaking of going places, you might, you heard Deb say IFAA. That's how a lot yes, of people know us. Yes. And it, and we are transitioning literally within, I mean, the last couple of weeks only. So we were kind of announcing it here. We're moving that acronym to AI arthritis instead, yes. because it's more clear what we do, which yes. is the whole point of why we're doing the auto ball, because we want to take our work more offline and we really want people to be clear of our mission. So our mission is literally to help others like Deb and I to have voices 
alongside other stakeholders. So whether that's doctors, researchers, other nonprofits, anybody who is involved in our realm of rheumatology or our diseases is a stakeholder. We are stakeholders. So we would sit side by side as equals. That's a key here. As equals to have conversations where we can problem solve issues that if, if, we come up with solutions would impact education or awareness, advocacy or public policy legislation or and research. And Deb, I think this was your idea to do this particular breakout show. Yeah, because I, I actually just saw the importance of it. And tell, tell everyone what it is. <laughs> Going to conferences, (laughs) right. Going to conferences. So Tiffany and I have gone to ULAR, which is the European version of the ACR that happens here in the United States. And the ACR is the American American College of Rheumatology. (laughs) Uh, Yep. (laughs) All these acronyms. So we have gone to the ACR probably how many years now in a row? Is it four or five? And then we've been to ULAR twice. Longer. First time we went was 2013 to the ACR. You weren't there yet. You weren't with us yet, but that's the first time we went as an organization. Okay. Right. And just to give a little bit of background about myself, I've had RA since I was 13 years old and I'm 50 now. So 37 years of lived experience. And I am a dietitian, a retired dietitian, and research is a huge passion of mine as well. So that is kind of why I've partnered up with Tiffany to hit these conferences so we could actually earmark all the sessions that we want to attend that relate back to the diseases that again, it's not the Tiffany and Deb go and just have fun and go see what we want to learn about, you know, (laughs) in specific, but it is specifically related to AI arthritis. And we look ahead of time for weeks and we earmark all of these sessions. And then we like line up, okay, is that one we can go together to, or is it one that we divide and conquer? You go to your session, I go to my session, let's report back. And it is amazing. So for years now that we've been doing this and partnering up, going to these conferences, we have met amazing global people from around the world. We, you know, make the most of our time. We are taking ample notes. I'm taking screenshots of the presentations that they have and we're deciphering and you know, even our lived pictures. I remember, I forget which conference, I think, I I forget which one we were at, but I think it was the one in Spain in Madrid where you and I were sitting on the floor in the back of the conference room and we both had our shoes off and we were propped up against the wall. I'll find that photo and and share it on this stream. I will find that photo. Oh, it is. Yes. It's, it's amazing. It is as important to you as all of our listeners, as it is to us to learn all the things that we're learning. And it's all about our mission and it's about the diseases. And, you know, uh, yeah, I, I just can't say enough about how much we do learn while we're there. 
why don't you tell everybody, you know, kind of give an overview of some of the things that we've been able to learn from being at these conferences? There was that session. We did the e-health session, which we learned about some of the online apps. And sitting in that session, I was on Facebook on my own page and reaching out to people um, for our AI arthritis voices and just trying to find out from our stakeholders, what, what apps, what are you guys using? Deb had mentioned eHealth, and yeah. it was at ULAR, the last one that we attended, that we were very interested in how eHealth is evolving because mm-hmm. at the time we had just started our projects for preparing patients for precision medicine. And this right. project in particular focuses on educating patients about the atypical versus the typical and how we're all unique. And we are very strong advocates at our organization for ensuring that all patients have access to the best treatments at the decent time so that that Mm -hmm. we avoid disability and and unnecessary damage. And so this is ingrained in, in many of the projects. Well, in order to get all of the voices at the table and fully understand those subgroups and reaching all people, mm-hmm. we needed to understand better about e-health. And so this particular <laughs> session was focused very strongly on the utilization of telehealth and apps and online health portals so that people who may not have access to doctors as readily Mm -hmm. live in rural areas or there's just a shortage or what have you, that they are still able to be treated and their voices can still count. And so we wanted to learn from them of how we could then correlate to the work that we were doing within our our own models of outreach. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that was interesting, we had already marked that as important. We we need to start because we need to facilitate that ourselves. But Aurelie, she is a researcher, rheumatologist researcher that I met through working at OMERACT, which is the Outcome Measures in Rheumatology. So here we are already planning on going to the eHealth, and here's Aurelie presenting as the panel, uh, one of the panelists in the eHealth. Yep. And we just laughed and said, wow, what a small world. What a small world How this is. Full circle it came. Comes yes, full it circle. Did. And the reason that I'm also bringing that up is twofold. One, it really demonstrates how important knowing people, meeting people, these conferences are, because that was an important topic for us. And even though we can take furious notes or photos of the slides, having the insight to then be able to follow up with panelists for additional information or even possibly work on our projects with us, that's Mm -hmm. completely invaluable. And, and we, right. there's no way to do that if, if you're not there face to face. There will be a continuation of this segment of conferences. And we wanted to expand mm-hmm. on this conversation on other sessions of the auto ball as we, we continue doing these through Wednesday, because it is through the conferences that, that we have splintered out and we're growing impact. One of them is we are teaming with Orly mm-hmm. and Orly is going to come back tomorrow with Deb and I, and she's going to give all of us an update on eHealth now that we're in the COVID era. <laughs> so 
So here we are. Here we are. And, <laughs> you know, we were learning all of these wonderful things that they were planning to build. And and it was like e-health. They kept saying, well, it's not right. You know, things aren't ready yet. We're right on the cusp. We're right there. Well, guess what? Now we're all here. So we're very yeah. interested. And been having e-health appointments it, and exactly. everything else. Yeah. And so Deb and I had gone back over the notes and we had a call last week, I guess, for about yeah. an hour. And and we went through all of what we had I learned. Yeah. I typed everything up for Tiffany. I said, Hey, I can, I can download this. Just let me, you know, I've got to go back through and look through everything and just three pages of typed. <laughs> My hands were tired. Uh, after yeah, that. Sure. <laughs> and, but what was so interesting is what we had learned there and what was planned for e-health. Now that we're in this new unprecedented era, some of that is not going to work. Or some of right, it wouldn't work. We're looking at it yeah. because we're living it now. And well, you have to tune in if you want to hear what those are. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so we we invited Orly to come back and talk to us about that topic. Mm-hmm. What was planned? What can move forward? What might not work now? Yeah. What gets scratched? Yeah. And, and that's part two. So, Orly, I would like to turn it over to you uh, as person who was on that panel and just kind of give us an overview of where the thoughts were at that time, what was in the what were in the plans, and then we can move into how that sort of has evolved into, wow, now we're here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that if you could do that, that would be wonderful. Yeah, definitely. So um, very we we came from Really, this project, this whole project came from a very basic observation. We just realized that there were so many health apps over uh, everywhere in the phone, um, like Apple Store, Android, everywhere that you could easily download and just start using. But we, we found that that none of them were actually providing lots of information on how they were developed you know, how they could be useful. There was not even a lot of literature out there by that time mentioning how they could really help in clinical setting and in the daily life. So we decided to explore this a bit further. And very interestingly, we realized that, first of all, the literature was at that time, again, because there's been plenty of publication in between. But back then, the literature was kind of poor in this area, at least in rheumatology. Because in some other, you know, in some other uh, settings like endocrinology, especially with diabetes or cardiology with hypertension, there were pretty much lots of stuff out there. But for rheumatology, nothing really, not much. So we came from that. We studied literature, but we realized by studying what was published that the voice of the patients were not really heard and they were not really asked and they were not really, you know, consulted when it was about developing the apps. And and so we really wanted to hear what people living with RMDs uh, were thinking of such apps and if they were using them. So we did a survey 
um, that we actually sent over uh, several countries. And you actually, uh, Tiffany, helped us quite a lot diffusing it in the US. <laughs> we got a lot of answers from the US. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> so, that, so, so anyway, we, we, we actually realized that half of our panel of respondents actually knew about these apps and were eventually uses them, using them. However, most of them were not finding them useful. So we were very interested in knowing why. And, and mm -hmm. this was actually in line with what we found from the literature that the development phase did not involve the patients often enough. So it okay. can be like very useful. So based on all of this, we back with Euler decided to do a recommendation on how apps should be, you know, developed and how they can be implemented in order to be useful, but also in order to ensure safety of the patients and security of the data, because security of data is something that is really, really important in the e-health setting. And there's there are regulation out there, but regulation kind of vary across the countries as well. So mm. it's quite a bit, um, you know, of a challenge. So this is where we were back then I think if I can if I summarize yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah ab absolutely and some of the things that we had pointed out in this that we thought was really interesting is there were some benefits mentioned for patients and benefits for the medical professional as well as in in using apps it was specifically for the the revital app I know there was a case study that was talked about. But one of the things that was brought out on the benefits for patients in using these would be the therapy approaches that could be tailored to the personal disease course and better therapy results and higher quality of life, which that's important. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm just curious, and I, I don't, don't mean to put you on the spot, but this is a conversation. So you know, or that things come up. Um, what has there been any further exploration into the benefits for the patients and, and how uh, apps or e-health has, um, because of the, the, I guess, the environment today with COVID-19, um, some of the, because I know we're going to talk to a rheumatologist tomorrow. Deb and I are coming back to continue this conversation <laughs> to see what's going on in the doctor's office is, re, you know, related to COVID and, and e-health. But you know, these benefits that were observed, I guess we should say in 2019, could, how do you feel orally that those will be implemented now in the time of COVID? I mean, is it still something that is foreseen as, I guess, doable? Or are there adjustments that you and your team and people working on e-health predict might not be, I, it might not be as beneficial as maybe once thought, or how do we adjust, I guess, is, is the question I'm asking. Yeah, that, that, I mean, that question makes a lot of sense, especially at the moment, because obviously, if we look back in 2019 and think of, of some applications of e-health, where, for example, what have been described is if someone, some patient can put into the, the app how it's feeling, if there is any symptoms, you know, and by doing some analysis, some prediction of flares 
can be done. And so this could be like alerting the physician and they can meet mm. earlier or to the contrary, if the patient is feeling very well and has been for the past months, for example, maybe they don't have to come into the clinic to be seen if they're doing super well and they can be seen at a later stage, for example, that these kind of things of adjustments of who needs to be seen more urgently and who needs to be seen maybe later mm -hmm. were something we were talking a lot about at that time. I would say that is not really in the COVID era, uh, <laughs> something that, you know, that seems to be so important because at the moment we're trying to, you know, limitate as much as we can um, the appointments, like the real appointment. So something that would definitely need to be, you know, put in first position for research at the moment would be how can we remotely be as efficient as we were in face-to-face -face appointments, especially as rheumatology is the discipline where we actually need to touch. Like we really, mm -hmm. to do a physical yeah. examination, we really need to touch the patients. Some specialties, it's a bit different, but for us, so this is something I, I think that that is the actual challenge. And the other actual challenge is, and I know that uh, the, the, the ACR, has actually been working on some clinical vignettes that can help the physician decide what situation they should still bring the patient in, like oh. what would be the situation where they have to see them and what other situation that can be dealt with remotely. So I think these, these are the kind of things at the moment that uh, really research should be focusing on in terms of e-health. I think you're right because I have been reading, I've been getting updates. Again, um, I'm a member of the ACR as well, and they have been talking about figuring out the guidelines for, you know, the e-health. From your perspective, Orally, I know that they've talked about, because I mean, I've actually experienced several telehealth appointments already, and they are all by the f telephone. Now, have you been doing video conferencing? Because I think you'd get more information from the patient. I mean, again, you can physically see things that are reddened or, you know, swollen and things like that by video. But is your experience more phone or video? So we are at the moment implementing the video. So we've been doing okay. mostly phone by now, but we've been, what we've been doing is that we've been collecting and, and, and noting down every patient that would need to be seen uh, using a video and we're implementing that at the moment. So we'll have definitely okay. more information on that in like a couple of, of weeks, I guess. Like it's yeah, going to, sure. it's just being it's developed, coming. but it's, <laughs> it's definitely like so important because you really need to see if, if it's mm -hmm. swollen or, I mean, obviously phone is, is the first way of getting information. But ultimately, you want to see. That's what we used to. We used to see. We used to touch. Yeah. So, yes. <laughs> so, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I'm just curious, going back to apps, Orly, are there any recommendations delivered like through ULAR to ensure any quality of these apps or any e-health? Yes, absolutely. So this is actually, ultimately, that was the goal of everything we've been doing back in the days in 2018 and 19 about this and we have now published these guidelines 
Um, yeah, they've been published, I think, end of 2019. I would be more than happy to share with you. That was out of their 10 guidelines. I'm not going to read them all uh, because no, I'm going to bore everyone. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but they are very good. So that we, we, we decided that we were going to focus on some different domains. So obviously safety uh, was for us like the most mm-hmm. important domain safety, security, how data should be dealt with. I mean, we're not giving any IT recommendation, but we, we just mentioned that frameworks should really be in place to ensure that that data uh, are actually, um, you know, anonymized, not used for any other purpose. You know, we're also talking about the content, how it is important that the content should be accurate, should be scientifically validated. Because obviously, we've seen during our search, we've seen lots of apps with content that were not really scientific. And this can Mm -hmm. be uh, actually damageable to people because, you know, it's not validated. It's not coming from any scientific source. And we've also been doing uh, in our recommendation, emphasizing that the development should actually involve every stakeholder, but especially patients and at every stage mm-hmm. of the development. So this, these are some of the things we've been actually recommending. I love that you guys have the patients involved. <laughs> oh yeah, I think that, but that's because these apps are, are ultimately made to improve patient quality of life or at least should be. So how can you improve someone's quality of life if you don't know what they want or what they need? That, you know, that's... Exactly, what the needs and wants are exactly, yeah. So we talked a little bit about the benefits and how we are, what we see as perceived benefits in, in moving forward. What are the main barriers towards the implementation of these apps? That's that's really something that I'm glad we can discuss this because actually that's a question that comes uh, like very often and it's it's the right question to ask. I mean, because obviously if if we don't know if it's going to be helpful, why would we use them? You see, that's the mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, there are actually two real main things that needs to be taken into account when talking about mobile health apps. First of all, to date, if at least to my knowledge, there has not been lots of publication actually assessing if the app would be useful. So mm-hmm. we need some trials using apps and, and the outcomes can be very different. The outcomes can be identifying what patient need to be seen urgently. The outcome can be, mm-hmm. for example, pre- predicting a flare based on mm-hmm. the past month's data, especially as, and there have been actually some work done on trying to predict if patients were going to flare based on their steps, daily oh, steps. Okay. So these kind of things. And another thing that would be very useful would be actually to analyze lots of data uh, using artificial intelligence and all that kind of new technologies to see if there could be some trajectories over mm. years, you know, where you can tell, well, this this trajectory is a trajectory where the treatments need to be escalated pretty fast 
because they won't respond to DMARS or, you know, that kind of things. There could be lots and lots of things to be done. But the, uh, the, the, the first thing that needs to be done is, first of all, to show that it's easy to, do, it's easy to use. It's not too time consuming because when we asked the patients, a lot of them were saying that it was very time consuming to enter all the data and they were not sure where the data were going and if anyone was seeing the data. And why would you spend an hour entering data if you don't see, know if anyone is going to ever see them? And, you know, so th that's so that that's our few things. So feasibility is of use are very important, making sure that there's going to be an outcome out of there, an impact of you entering data. So this, for now, I see should be part of trials. I, I don't see it being implemented in daily practice tomorrow, but I think there's plenty of things we can do to, you know, build our path towards the implementation for all these purposes. That's great. Yeah. Something I, I wanted to throw over to Deb because you were talking earlier about how, well, and I remember this, I was, I wish I had taken a picture. That would have been kind of cool to show Orly, but when we were watching you speak, Orly, yeah. Deb is sitting there posting about it on social media, asking questions in relationship. And you're probably thinking, I wish you had, like, I could see all of it because yeah. you're getting like live responses. But one of the questions I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you asked Deb was existing apps, what people like, what they maybe don't like. And the reason I'm I'm bringing that up is because in my experience, and, and again, we all, we like to have as many voices at the table because I'm just one person and, mm -hmm. and I'm just basing it off of myself and what I've spoken to with some other people. And it's clearly not all people. And, you know, I'm, I'm a little older and you know, this might be different. This might be different if we're talking about somebody who's 20 or 18. I don't know. Cause you know, the use of apps is a little different and, as it may be different for somebody 60 or 70. But in my experience, it seems that patients get bored really quick with apps that it's hard yeah. to keep going on them. The interest is there. Yeah. The interest is there and then it's gone because it's like, okay, I, I'm tired of answering the same questions because they'll keep posing the same questions like once a week or something like that. Yeah. And you'll get reminders, you know, fill in your data of how you're feeling today and things like that. Yeah. Um, did you, I mean, because I actually have the actual question that I asked. Sure. Yeah. Go ahead. I yeah. pose, did you know that there are 200 health mobile apps created every day. For rheumatology, these apps don't exist. What mobile health app do you find most effective? So that was the question that I posed to a lot of folks. And I got pages. I was typing all the responses out of just, you know, what, what meant the most to everybody. And um, arthritis power was one that was mentioned, that creaky joints. Our friends. Shout yeah, out. Our we friends love, at Creaky we, we love Creaky Joints yep. and Glo Global Healthy Living Foundation, which Creaky Joints is derived as part of the umbrella organization, Global right. Healthy Living Foundation. Right. And that arthritis power does, I'm pretty, I, I actually occasionally do pop in there. I, again, don't do it as often as I probably should. It talks about changes in your medication. So it does ask you to input all that data. And I was, I actually had a different app that I was able to use my cell phone and scan the front of the bottle. And it would 
take everything and input it into the app itself so you didn't have to write you know type out all of the data and i actually shared that with them because i said you know that actually i have like 25 medications and that is incredibly time consuming and i lost interest halfway through and had to finish it up another time because i was done typing my hands hurt so i was done (laughs) but yeah you know those were the uh, major ones and then judith she had one that was called in australia the catch my pain which i've never heard of but you document your mood your weather changes you are able to document areas of the body that actually hurt and how you have to describe the pain and she said whether you use stabbing or throbbing or dull pain you use those type of words to describe your pain and she said you can set reminders and chat in a forum about different kinds of things so i thought that was interesting as well Um, again it was a wealth of information you know in a very quick amount of time that i was capturing as we're sitting into the meeting and listening to all the information. So it was it was a really interesting informational tool because we're like, hey, what if we post it to our community right now? <laughs> right. And I what I think is so, what I and again, I, I say it every time. Look, I'm proof. Lots of yeah. notes. I take yeah. lots of notes throughout these so that I can circle back and I don't miss any information. A couple points to what you just said, Deb. First of all, what you literally just said was how yeah. we incorporated the patient voice in real time. We brought the patient voice to the table, literally, as we were yes. sitting at a panel. And that's a very yes. good example of what we do as an organization. Mm-hmm. Um, but second, interestingly, Uh, you know, I was kind of connecting the dots on what you were saying were the benefits or the things that knowing that a barrier is participation and Mm -hmm. adherence to Mm -hmm. doing these apps was the one factor that kept people in that that listed as their favorites or the ones that they use most. There was a direct benefit to their health. There was a direct benefit. They could print something out. They could bring it to the doctor. They could track. Yeah. Open their phone in real time and show them a graph. And and, right. It was a resource Mm -hmm. for them at at the end. And that also I, I, I wrote down that they, they liked that the domains, meaning the outcomes, the things that patients want measured fatigue was in there. So they Mm -hmm. were very, they, they seemed to be more interested in the ones that were outcomes that were most important to them. Mm-hmm. So I think those are two really important takeaways, especially for you, Arlie, as somebody who develops these. <laughs> that I mean, that, that's something that might help with the barrier of adherence, right? The other thing, too, in one that Judith said, and I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this, but she said you could actually set reminders, which that actually is huge. If you could actually set those kind of reminders. I know with Arthritis Power, they just send you an email that says it's time to hop back into arthritis power. Thank you for, for mentioning those, Deb, because it's important yeah. to know what yeah. patients, and, and, I, and I would just like to throw it out there for anyone who is listening, whether it is live today or listening to this as a recording, we are interested in learning more about what you, right. uh, people living with these diseases, especially in times now, we got to remember, we need more e-health. And mm-hmm. you know, if, it's, if it is an app, 
What are you using that you find beneficial? Why is it beneficial? And what will make you want to continue using it? Because I think one of the number one issues is adherence to apps. It's just a, we, we download them, we have good intention, and then you know we don't. But as Aurelie's panel mentioned at ULAR, there's the, the apps for rheumatology are slim. (laughs) So, you know, we want to make sure. Yeah. Yeah. We want to make sure the ones that are available to us are ones that we want to use because not only will it benefit us, but it's going to help the researchers as well, who, you know, obviously are are learning from, from these two. I'm going to ask if there's anything else that Orly you would like to touch on here I've been doing a lot of talking and questions, so I want to throw it back to you um, and ask you, especially as we move into this time of COVID and how do you see e-health evolving? Is there anything that you're specifically working on in relation to this? Well, so I would like to start with emphasizing what Dave was actually saying. I think it's really important. And in the, the thing that actually surprised me is that what you said was exactly the same things that came out the focus group that we've done on, uh, you know, um, smartphone apps used. So, I mean, it's very, sure. it, it's really interesting <laughs> because that means that across the world, uh, you know, everybody thinks the same. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that's really good. And yeah, that's the, the real thing is that if it's not easy to use, no one will use them. I mean, it's the same for everything. Like if I were to have an app and I used it for a few days, and I don't see any outcome, nothing coming out of it. I don't see any benefit for myself, not even my health, but I mean, you know, for myself in general, I would just drop it. So we, exactly. So we need to make sure that whatever is out there available is actually has a purpose. If it doesn't have a purpose, it's not going to be used or not for a long time. So, yeah, anyway, just to, 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 you know, emphasize that it was very good to hear. And now related to COVID time, what I do think is that I think that there will be sort of emergency, you know, e-health developments that will occur in the next, you know, weeks, months, uh, probably. And this will somehow force the field to move very fast. And this could be somehow a good thing in the sense that probably that the developments that we will see coming, if they're done, I mean, it can be an opportunity of developing things that can be further used and, you know, just reduce you know, maybe not make people come to the hospital so often, maybe, you know, virtual appointments will be developed and and made available and it will be good for everyone because that means you don't have to go to the hospital to be seen, you can be seen remotely, etc. But, Mm -hmm. you know, the challenge here is also that because we are are in such an emergency situation, we need to make sure that we still do it in a safe manner and, you know, in, in something that can be sustained over months. So I think it's an opportunity, but there are lots of challenges also out there, especially in terms of safety of the data, because there's mm-hmm. no 
lots of framework in place at the moment, not, not lots of regulatory frameworks. So I think that's the biggest challenge that we are facing. The, the safety of the data and, and that kind of things. I think that can be yeah, difficult. Yeah. And, and that's why I really wanted this opportunity in addition to clarifying or, or making it known to our community why it's so important for our mm -hmm. staff or the people with AI arthritis to be attending these conferences. But because everybody, regardless if you're a person living with AI arthritis diseases or not, we're all in this time. And yeah. it was just really interesting that just, just a year ago, not, you know, we yeah. were, we were literally uh, like almost to the day <laughs> a year ago, mm -hmm. we were talking about this as an evolutionary process that we were working towards and now mm -hmm. we're thrust into it and, and what, what that means and, and really what people want from it as it's starting to evolve. So in saying that, I do want to also just pose the question again for those who are living with our diseases, what existing apps have been ones that you have gravitated towards and why? Because we really want to understand now that eHealth is here and mm -hmm. we need to use as many of these methods of data collection and, and helping to increase quality of care as possible. We need to know what the barriers and the benefits are to ones that are existing, but also interested in knowing now that we have this new time, this new unprecedented, as everybody says, era that, that has fallen upon us, knowing what you know now and what you're experiencing, what would you like to see developed? What would benefit you? Now we're having different experiences and different barriers that we never thought would be an issue. Like Deb said, I mean, we have to take pictures now. We have to make sure that that there's visible, like or at least said, you can't do the palpitations. You can't physically touch. So there are new things that we're identifying that there is a need. And so what is that need? And, and as researchers and doctors and ACR and everybody are developing these protocols and these, these methods of engagement, let's have our voices heard. You know, we, we need yeah. to be at the table and we need to make sure because what'll happen if we don't is that these will be developed and we're just going right back to saying, well, you missed this because mm -hmm. this isn't what's important to me. And, mm -hmm. and as Deb said, if it, if the, app or the application is not something that a patient is going to find benefit from, they're not going to use it. Yep. So then that's just a waste of time and money. So we definitely want to invite people to the table for, for that. Thank you, Orly, for, for talking about all of this mm -hmm. with us. I mean, obviously the conversation is ongoing <laughs> and we're yeah. going, we'll, we'll check back with you. Um, one things that we found out about this and also, you know, just, just, kind of exchange ideas and thoughts as the the e-health is is developing. But other than that, I think our conversation I think has been fantastic. And I'm really excited and and I really want to thank both you Arlie and you Deb for joining us at the table. This has been really wonderful. And for everyone out there listening, we want to just remind you again that this is a feature live presentation of AI Arthritis Voices 360, which is our official talk show for International Foundation for Autoimmune Autoinflammatory Arthritis, or AI Arthritis for short. And we are doing these live presentations because we had an auto ball scheduled, which was our yes. very first gala ever. <laughs> 
<laughs> that we were supposed to have in St. Louis, Missouri, early May to introduce our organization to a larger pool of people so we could in turn help more people and also to raise funds to carry us through to 2021. We appreciate everyone who has given us support over the years and we are asking for it again. So we did lose all of our sponsors, unfortunately, when we didn't have the event. So any donations are welcome. And we have posted that link to donate. Any amount is appreciated. And we really hope that we can gain your support. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So thank you again, everyone out there who's joining us. Lee, Deb, it's been a pleasure to have you at the table. And to all of you who are listening, please pull up a chair, join us because only together can we change the stories of tomorrow. Your voice matters. So we hope to talk with you soon. Thanks, everybody. And come back in a couple hours where we talk to Carrie from Rheumatology Nurses Society. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Molly. AI Arthritis Voices 360 is produced by the International Foundation for Autoimmune and Autoinflammatory Arthritis. Find us on the web at www.aiarthritis.org. Join us again on Wednesday for our special breakout episode, where we bring your comments, questions, and ideas to the table. Also, be sure to subscribe to this podcast and stay up to date on all the latest AI arthritis news and events. 